Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Euro Podcast, the podcast by the Digital Euro Association, which is a European think tank focusing on digital money and specifically the different forms of the Digital Euro. My name is Sarah Palervich and I'm one of the executive directors of the DIA and today I'm joined by Denise Koxal and Dercio Frade. It's great to have you both on today. Welcome. Thank you. So today we will talk about the content and outcomes of the paper ahead of the Digital Euro, the Public Digital Euro Working Group recommendations, which both of you contributed to greatly, actually. And there's probably no better way of understanding the depths of academic work better than speaking to the co-authors, I think, and picking their brains, which is the plan for today. And before we get started, I would like to just give everyone a little introduction to the nature of the paper before we will then talk about the design dimensions, the payment relevant aspects, and also the legal requirements for implementing a digital euro in the form of a CBDC as seen by our working group members and of course also the subgroups. So to add a couple of sentences on the DIA uh, working groups themselves, this year in Q1, we launched the first iteration of the working groups with two separate topics namely the Public Digital Euro Working Group. So that was fo focusing on a digital euro in CBDC format, which is the paper that we will be discussing today. And the other group was focusing on private digital euros, so in the form of stable coins. So the names are essentially referring to the issuing source of the money. And the main question that the public working group wanted to explore was which primary characteristics must a digital euro possess to guarantee being a serious alternative to physical money in the future. And to arrive um, at a conclusion for this question, after breaking it down into the three subgroups, the three sub-questions that answer this question from the angle of Again, design dimension, payment aspects, and legal requirements, the working groups conducted an analysis on each of these aspects. So how are these currently handled? What can we expect? And what would be a socially desirable way to handle these aspects once there is a Euro CBEC? And finally, in essence, the working groups or this particular working group arrived with a set of 15 concrete recommendations determining the characteristics a digital euro should possess and is targeted um, specifically at policymakers and the European monetary authorities. So not an easy task at all, but we had outstanding lineups in our working groups, which made it possible to um, even yeah, pose such um, intricate questions, actually. And the two of you, I think, are great examples for that. And I'm sure our listeners are curious to learn more about both of your backgrounds. Denise, would you like to start with introducing yourself and your professional background? Thank you, Sarah, for hosting me in the podcast. So let me start with my background. Currently, I am working as a legal counsel for Delivery Hero and the FinTech Legal and Compliance Department. Before joining here, I have um, more than a four-year of background uh, working as a lawyer in the Central Bank of Turkey. That's briefly about me. Great. So it really only came natural to you to join the legal subgroup. Dersio, would you give us an overview of your background as well? I'm a senior developer for car banking systems and also have a team manager role at my company. And it was a bit natural for a payments landscape for me, <laughs> joining in the subgroup. Yeah. 
Yeah, certainly. I think we can now move on to the first portion of the paper, which is design dimensions. And before we do get started, I'd just like to disclaim that all views um, expressed are those of the members of the subgroups and do not necessarily reflect the perspectives or views of the DIA or the uh, members' employers. This is true for the podcast as well as for the working group paper. And just as an additional disclaimer, I was not officially part of the first subgroup, but will be presenting their findings today. So in case that you want to reach out to those who were members, I'm happy to refer you to the official members, of course. So let's start with a short summary of the points of the design dimension chapter. And the first point that was raised was CBDC architecture and the role of commercial banks. So it was the view of the group that commercial banks should continue to distribute the currency to the public. So this was specifically also referring to that the digital euro should be interoperable with commercial banks, meaning that existing financial institutions and payment providers within the eurozone should be involved with circulating the digital euro and that the digital euro should also be generally accepted with payment standards that are already existing as well as with network protocols such as Target 2 and Euro 1. So public payment programs that we already have today. And another point that the working group raised is that the structure of the digital euro should be provided in a way that it does not compete with or diminish the services offered by these institutions to avoid disintermediation, for example. The second most important point that the group raised was impact of a digital euro on the financial system. It highlighted the importance of keeping an eye on the demand of the digital euro, the different levels of interchangeability between a euro, CBDC, and other forms of private money. Other points that need to be considered are bank profitability, liquidity risk of banks, and the lending conditions, again, the risk of disintermediation in times of of bank runs, and in general, capital flow, aggregate lending, and economic activity, as well as welfare in the country or monetary union, as is the case for the Eurozone at least. Another point that was found within the analysis of the subworking group was that a digital euro should be stress tested before. So the importance of a staggered approach was suggested and defined as very important. Let's move on to the next point, which was the technology design. So the group was technology agnostic in its analysis, basically said that whether a digital euro would be DLT-based or not, a euro CBDC should provide the following points, which are mainly financial inclusion, that user-controlled privacy should also be at the core, that digital euro should not be a shelter for illicit activities, so that regulation needs to be put in place. However, the calibration with data privacy also needs to be provided at the same time. And the importance of offline payments especially during short or even longer periods without internet connection and electricity were important. And that's also something that certainly came from the discussion with the Ukrainian central bank, as we've seen now where internet connection and electricity are sometimes things that you cannot really count on necessarily at all times. And they've actually also adjusted their CBDC design accordingly to this. Another aspect that was mentioned was programmability and the working group actually touched on a very interesting point, namely that a digital euro could be cryptographically fused with predefined terms to prevent misuse and actually discourage corruption, fraud. So 
programmability is often said to possibly cause a couple of problems if there's vouchers in place, if you can only spend money on certain goods and services that are predefined by the government and controlled by the government. However, here it's basically said that in the event of a disaster, a programmable euro uh, with embedded conditions could actually then facilitate grants being paid to people and to contribute to disaster relief funds that either hinder fraud or misuse in general. And the last point that the group touched on within the technology design aspect was data privacy and security. So what's really important to mention here is that privacy is understood as a fundamental right. So there's basically no question around it, whether there should be a anonymous CBDC or not, that at least up to a certain threshold, there should be the right of being provided with data privacy as the end user. And they also referred back to the demand for privacy of transactions, as was published in the latest results of the public survey on the digital euro as conducted by the ECB. So that's certainly something that the ECB is already aware of. That was it for the short summary of the points in the chapter. Darcy, do you have anything to add? Yeah, um, I would like to add that the digital euro won't be a replacement for cash, at least for now, and uh, will coexist in the same level with other payments that we'll, I'll touch a bit in a few moments. And um, the offline digital wallet is something that it will be a necessary uh, means of payment because of when it's not available on internet, you have to pay for services and goods. Yeah, I, th- I think those were, were important points. To mention and also kind of the consensus of all of the subgroups so some the privacy part yeah the privacy part and the the offline part as well all right moving on to the recommendations from this chapter so the first concrete recommendation that emanated from the first subgroup was that a two-tier distribution model including financial intermediaries is desirable this involves first of all receiving the digital euro tokens from the ecb And then secondly, distributing them to the wallets of users in exchange for physical cash or exchanges with deposit accounts. And thirdly, then providing services and um, supports to the end users, um, such as onboarding, um, issuing, issuing loans and the likes. The second recommendation from this chapter was touching on privacy preserving design. So the subgroup advocates for an architecture that guarantees privacy by design and also considers the risk that comes along with ensuring privacy preservation, which brings me to the point of cyber attack security. So this is the third recommendation from this chapter that a Euro CBDC would need to be cyber attack secure from the very beginning, firstly, to secure citizens' data and funds, and secondly, to not put the entire Eurozone stability at risk on a macroeconomic scale. The fourth recommendation from the first subgroup was that a Euro CBDC should be non-interest bearing to avoid competing with commercial bank deposits and be just like cash in that a CBDC would then mimic the zero remuneration guarantee of cash. The possibility, however, for interest bearing CBDC should be kept, though, if it becomes desirable in the future at a later point. And lastly, the group is in favor of the European Central Bank inviting proposals from private and public merchants to design, program, and execute proof-of-concept pilots, meaning that field test pilots that are used as sandboxes are basically outsourced 
for different uh, solutions and technologies that can be tested before a digital euro is rolled out on a bigger scale, for example, to test token-based um, electronic versions of the euro. That concludes the findings of the first subgroup. Then we can dive into the second part, Darcio, which you are going to give us an overview on. Yeah. Our part of the report was focused on payment-relevant aspects of digital euro, and we aggregated in four major fields. What's the payment landscape today in Europe? We already know that in Europe, it's the European Central Bank started an investigation phase on the digital euro, evaluating the design of, of the CBDC as a complement to existing means of payments. And in Europe, we are, we, the European pa Payments Council already has a standards for uh, harmonized payment instruments towards implementation of payments like the single euro payment area, SEPA. And the, this landscape also have revised informations on payment service directive to secure digital payments. So we have a lot of payments methods already in place in Europe. However, it's interesting to know that, for example, SEPA payments, instant payments, are less than 10% of the total retail transactions and cash and cards are still main use of cash in Europe. For example, 48% of transactions are still paid with physical cards. And if a digital euro needs to achieve a, this expansion of payments, the supporting of this network of payment terminals, the payment infrastructure needs to exist. And the integration of this CBDC technology that will be the digital euro, it's an open issue and all the payments will have to solve this problem of all these payment methods and the digital euro. We also lead to the requirements of for distribution and usage of the digital euro, where we think that the adoption of the digital euro by the public really depends on the opportunities to spend it. So payment use cases will be the main point of the digital euro. We have European citizens that and businesses that have many ways of payment, payment of goods and services. And there are new fields all, all already coming up to payments like digital assets that will maybe be a use of the digital euro. The payments right now offered to the public really depends on this ecosystem and this payment service providers that do have this infrastructure of merchants to receive payments with all kinds of instruments. And the digital era will require also the integration of these payment service providers to be involved on, on all of this. Again, we also touched the, the implementation issue around interoperability, standardization and regulation will be needed. And we think that the European Central Bank will be focused and from the documentation from them will be focused on retail CBDC. So the digital euro will be primarily a use of payments that should be and will be used by the public. So in that way, the central bank will centrally and directly operate the digital euro ecosystem. I think that's an, an issue that it's, was discussed. To ensure bank interoperability, there will be a need of, of a standard for infrastructure 
and the process of payment transactions flows will be necessary because it involves all these specifications, requirements, and regulations between all parties, between all payments service providers, between the general public. And this standard will be the, the mean where the commercial banks also play a role on this because only with that integration with all, all these players we could implement and participate in the digital euro ecosystem. And in that way, it's, it's, it's all of a standards on the digital euro. Our group also touched the programmability payment services in a way that the issue of digital euro will provide an opportunity to rethink the concept of currency and possibly in, incorporate additional functionalities to its monetary value. In this way, the digital euro could allow programmable payment methods in a way that we could automate payments between, between machines, between merchants, between automated systems. And all of this will could help the digital euro to prosper. As a resume, all of this, we touched there are our recommendations for the digital euro that will be the diffusion of the digital euro currency depends on the support of the merchant capture network, as I said, and reliable infrastructure. As touched also in the first part, uh, the digital wallet offline protocols will enable instant payments without any third-party support. The digital wallet will be the easiest way to introduce the digital euro to the public provided that to gain support by merchants. As we keep touching, it's an ecosystem that will be needed for all. Digital Euro will have cooperation between all parties. Also, we recommend to opt to a hybrid approach to the Digital Euro with account-based and token-based token, in this case, Digital Euro, to fulfill the requirements of a fully Digital Euro and be flexible by design. Mainly, that were the recommendations of our group. I think what really stood out with the payment-relevant aspects is bringing merchants into the mix. Yes, uh, I think that we, we, we all think that having all of these participants in the ecosystem will help bring the digital euro to the use. Because without that, without no payment use cases, as I said, there will be no need for digital euro. And we need this digital euro because of solving all these problems that we, we have currently with current payment methods. Absolutely. Just a piece of anecdotal evidence, something that I came across and I thought about exactly what you just said, Dercio, was that in Finland, they actually tried to implement a CBDC years ago when, I mean, obviously not a blockchain-based one because that wasn't a topic back then. But actually what they started doing is having two slits for different cards. So the one would be for your Visa card or your regular uh, commercial bank money, bank account money cards. And then that one, particularly for those vendors that would accept this currency that was issued by the government. And it completely failed because the usability was just terrible. And at one point, it was just a cost factor for the entire country. There was this whole infrastructure that wasn't used. And they, they did that years ago. And the... And, uh, DLT, the digital te technology nowadays, will help the build of the digital euro, I think. 
and uh, will help bring much more needed ways to pay with the digital euro, of course. Yeah, let's hope we are not going to end up with the same type of abandonment that Finland has experienced. All right. I think it's a good time to hand over to Denise now for the legal requirements subgroup. Uh, thank you, Sarah. So in the legal part, we, we address the issue from three perspectives. We first question the ECB's mandates to mandate to issue digital euro and its legal tender status. And then we examine the AML KYC requirements for the digital euro. And lastly, we dug into consumer protection and transparency. So as a starting point, uh, we believe that the first question that needs to be answered is whether the ECB has the legal mandate to issue the digital euro. Looking at its status and the treaty on the functioning of the European Union, we cannot see a broad power to issue currency, but rather we see a power to issue banknotes. Then comes the second question. Can digital euros be issued as a new electronic form of banknotes? Well, this is a bit of a tricky question because there is no explicit legal requirement that says that banknotes should be issued physically. However, there are certain obstacles that uh, prevent this immediate legal and functional equivalence between these two forms. So in contrast to physical banknotes, the digital euro will require a system to circulate. But more importantly, a physical euro as a movable property under civil law has a solid, well-defined legal status. There is no doubt on the banknote as a property. And respectively, there are long-standing rules to protect, uh, for example, one of the acquisitions or so. However, there are still ongoing discussions on the legal status of immaterial objects. In certain jurisdictions, civil laws are narrow so that they do not acknowledge the property status of the objects without physical substance. So in these jurisdictions, there is a necessity to have an explicit provision in order to acknowledge the property status of the set. Moreover, there are, although being technologically neutral, the rules uh, protecting the euro counterfeiting are still insufficient to address the digital needs. So we believe that there is no room for ambiguity on the legal status of the currency. And following this rationale, it's, uh, we found that it will be preferable for the ECB to have an explicit legal mandate in order to issue a digital euro. And as a second point, it would clearly be desirable for the digital euro uh, to enjoy a legal tender status. Although this new form of currency will be issued together with the banknotes, uh, which are currently uh, the legal tender in the EU, it should also enjoy a legal tender status. However, due to some technical limitations and for a monetary object to be as inclusive as possible, we suggest to have a limited legal tender status in the initial phase that will eventually evolve to an unlimited. And as a second point, uh, we focused on the requirements with regards to the anti-money laundering and combating financial terrorism. So as you already know, FATF pioneers to set international standards via its recommendation and guidelines. And as a FATF member, EU has been following the recommendations also. Uh, so there are all, already some guidelines with regards to the virtual currencies, but the, none of them addresses CBDCs. And according to FATF, CBDCs, although they're, they're a form of currency, they, they have their unique risk in money laundering and terrorism financing so that 
they should be addressed specifically. And without that, of course, the service providers or other intermediaries dealing with CBDC, they will at least have the same AML CFD obligations with regards to the fiat currencies. And when we look at the revised AML directive or the known as sixth AML directive, it's on its way. And we have also the revised travel rule. And none of these draft regulations make specific reference to CBDCs and also not on the proposal for the regulation of markets and crypto assets. So let me illustrate this legal obstacle here, the legal challenge here. So for example, consumer due diligence requirements with respect to the AMR rules requires identity checks for transactions above certain thresholds. And it also allows for simplified due diligence procedures that are below this threshold, like a thousand euro. However, cryptocurrency transactions do not enjoy the simplified due diligence procedure. In order to comply with AML CFT requirements, the identity of the user, at least this or this threshold, should be known for the fiat currency transactions. But it's not clear in terms of the simplified due diligence whether it will be applicable to the CBDC or not. So with regards to this AML CFT requirements, the question should be answered before the introduction, whether the regulatory authority will see CBDC as a cryptocurrencies or treat them as a fiat money. Considering the underlying technology and its possible use cases by crypto asset service providers, the unique risks shall be mitigated either by having its own regulation or by amending the current AML regulation. And of course, as you already mentioned, the design is the key, it's a crucial point here. Considering the burdens it will bring to ECB with regards to the know your customer obligations, a direct model not be an optimal design. An alternative design options are possible, like two-tier design or pseudonymous ledgers are being discussed. In both design options, the intermediary financial institutions will have the KYC duties. And of course, digital identity systems will potentially speed up this KYC process in the future. And we believe that digital euro solutions will be best attainable via public-private collaboration in order to efficiently comply with the proposed regulation. Uh, one proposed solution could be like messaging liars, which could work similar to the information exchange messages used by SWIFT in case of a DLT model is opted for. And in order to effectively manage financial crime, a single customer view with an optimized and uniform tool would be preferable. And last but not least, let me give you some words about the consumer protection. So first of all, the provisions on the PSD2 should be applicable to digital euro payments. Hence, the same rules that currently apply to the payments with the um, cash or um, digital payments will be valid for the digital euro payments as well, uh, which includes transparency of information of the parties, transparency of the fees, including ban on intermediary fees, and so on. And similarly, the rules and method for investments in Eurosite deposits should be redesigned to be applicable to digital euro investments while noting the need for consumer protection and account segregation. So after this long uh, summary, I would like to wrap up the suggestions that we have in this part. So we consider that first it's preferable for the ECB to have an explicit legal mandate to issue the digital euro, which would eventually enjoy a legal tender status. 
and AML-CFP measures should be revised for the digital euro and the treatment will differ if the digital euro will be seen as an equivalent to electronic money or equivalent to a cryptocurrency. And design is one of the key points. Depending on the design choice and the degree of privacy supported by the digital euro, the level of risk and the due diligence requirements in terms of KYC requirements, transaction monitoring and transaction filtering could vary considerably. Likewise, a better understanding of the potential usage of the digital euro will be required, including whether it's likely to be used in decentralized finance applications to fully evaluate the risks and the usage would entail. Great. It was really, really adding to the paper. I mean, we've we've all read the paper, but hearing you summarize those main points also showed kind of where in the group probably the most conversation was going on. And it actually also highlighted how the three subgroups are coming together, how they're interrelating and how basically you saying anything that needs to be considered in the legal realms is determined in the design dimensions first. And then, of course, the um, payment aspects are also tying in with that as we've seen. So I hope this gave the audience and the listeners a good overview, another type of summary of the paper, which of course can be found in the show notes, access to the full paper. And if people wanted to reach out to you, Denise and Darcio, how could they do so? Um, similarly, through LinkedIn, it's the easiest and most convenient way to reach out to someone. <laughs> uh, on LinkedIn, uh, just look it up, Darcio Frad, and can be in touch. All right. And your LinkedIn's will, of course, also be mentioned in the show notes. You, you can head there and take a look there. The same, of course, also applies to the Digital Bureau Association. In general, if you want to stay up to date with news around CBDCs and stablecoins and digital money, and make sure to head over to our website and follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter. Our handle is at DigiEuro. And... With that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will tune in next time again, as well as for the other working group recap, which will follow briefly after this one. Make sure to tune in for the next episode. And Darcio Denise, thank you so much for being our guests today. Thank you, Sarah.